Welcome to the Living in Alignment podcast. My name is Amy Landry. Through a collage of conversations, here we distill mindful living and timeless wisdom within a modern, everyday context. Thank you for being here. Courtney Carver launched her blog, Be More With Less, in 2010 and is one of the top bloggers in the world on the subject of minimalism. She has been featured in countless articles, podcasts, and interviews on simplicity. She is the best-selling author of Soulful Simplicity and the creator of the Minimalist Fashion Challenge, Project 333, which is now a book available for purchase wherever books are sold. Courtney's work addresses downsizing, creating space to notice your life, and how to enjoy what matters most to you. If you've been searching for someone or something to help you simplify your life, declutter your mind and connect with your heart, then this conversation is just for you. Welcome, Courtney. I'm really honored to have you on the podcast. Thank you so much for your time. It's my pleasure. I'm looking forward to our chat. I would really love to start, as we always do, if you don't mind, sharing with us a little about your background, how you fell into this work. Now, I do appreciate your story is very much about drawing on the elements of your own internal processes and also your health as well, which is really relevant to this work. Would you like to dive into that a little to get started? Sure. It was really my health that was kind of the jumping off point for me into simplifying my life and then blogging about it and writing about it. In 2006, I was diagnosed with multiple sclerosis after, I mean, months of crazy symptoms that I couldn't explain. And really, if I think about it, probably years of symptoms that were so just easily brushed off. You know, if I had a a symptom like a numbness in my hands, I would just say that to myself, I must have pinched a nerve. Or if I was really exhausted, uh, I or a doctor would say, well, you're, you're working full time and raising a child, of course, you're tired. But this wasn't just feeling tired after a hard day. This was debilitating fatigue. And when I would have vertigo um, spells from time to time, doctors would tie it back to some kind of ear infection, even though they couldn't really see any kind of ear infection. But I just accepted that for a really long time and thought it was just the price you pay for being an adult. And it all kind of came to a head in 2006, as I mentioned, after months and months of all of these symptoms happening at the same time and going through a lot of different tests and finally being diagnosed with MS and having my neurologist say in no uncertain terms that I was standing on the edge of a cliff in terms of how this disease would progress and that I did have some choices to make with both uh, MS treatments and lifestyle changes as to whether or not I wanted to take a flying leap off the cliff and decline or step back from the cliff. And I really felt pretty empowered right away even though I didn't know what that looked like, what it meant. uh, I just knew that I wanted to back away from the edge of the cliff. Yeah. Wow. No doubt that took you by surprise. 
It was a- and also connected a few dots for you. It did. I mean, in some ways, I think it was a bit of a relief to have an answer. But in other ways, because I had really not a lot of knowledge about what multiple sclerosis was or how it would impact me or what it would look like for my life, it was really scary too. A lot of uncertainty and and fear in those really early days. Um, ironically enough, when I was diagnosed, I was training for uh, an MS ride, uh, a cycling event to raise money for MS research because my boss at the time had MS. And he was the only person I knew with MS. He was in a wheelchair and had been for many, many years. And that was kind of my face of the disease. So for me, that's all I could picture. And I mean, 14 years ago, there wasn't nearly the amount of information there is even today. And so kind of reading through articles and books and things like that, it, it felt a little bleak at first until I started hearing stories about people who were doing well with MS. And I just had that bit of hope, like if, if some people can, then why not me? Mm. And so how did that lead you into the work that you're doing right now in the world in terms of your courses, your books? How did that then translate to moving you onto this path? Was that more spontaneous, perhaps? Well, interestingly, it wasn't. So in the beginning, I wasn't thinking, oh, I have to simplify my life or minimalism would be a great (laughs) solution. But instead, for me, it was about removing as much stress as possible from my life. So much of the research that I did showed that stress, you know, both in the body and around the body in your life was really devastating for people with MS and other autoimmune conditions. And I would say for most people with any kind of (laughs) life at all, I mean, stress can really do some pretty crazy things to our bodies and to our brains. And I had built a very stressful life. I was deep in debt. I had a, a big house that I, you know, I was making payments on, but probably would have been making payments on for the rest of my life. And then some um, had a lot of stuff that I had collected over the years, worked a job that I wasn't crazy about and was always super busy, you know, to-do lists for days, calendars jam-packed, always on my phone, uh, immediately responding to anything that came in my direction, because I just, again, thought that that's how you're supposed to do this life thing. And so with my MS diagnosis, I had permission for the first time in my life to take care of myself. And it was pretty, like again, exciting and also scary. And so my goal became get rid of as much stress as possible. And what does that look like? So I looked at what the most stressful area of my life was, and I thought, what can I do first? For me, that looked like changing my diet because I thought stress appears in the body in, 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 form of, in the form of inflammation. What am I eating that might be inflammatory? And can I reverse that by changing the food that I'm eating? Now, this was not um, di- uh, doctor recommended. It's still not, and I'm not a nutritionist, so I don't make these recommendations for other people. I think you have to figure out what works best for you. But for me, it meant giving up um, most animal products, all animal meat, 
for a while, a lot of dairy and just kind of reassessing how different food made me feel. And I still do that to this day and it's always changing. Uh, and I'm always aware of that. Like my body's always changing. So what I'm eating needs to change as well. And the way I think about what I eat, it needs to change too, because sometimes that can be really stressful. And for me, eating prior to this diagnosis was always about um, weight and like bad food and good food and making sure that it, what I was eating didn't affect the number on the scale. And that was really stressful and damaging in itself. So that was another thing that I really had to shift, which didn't come for many years later. Um, but once I kind of dialed in the, the diet and my relationship with my medical team, I started to look at other stressful areas. Debt was the next. And when we were paying off our debt, we stopped shopping and bringing things in. And it gave me a good chance to really see what I had. And I started to realize that the stuff surrounding me was affecting what was inside of me about how I felt. And the clutter was really overwhelming, but because I didn't have time to think about it before, it just kept building up and building up. And so I really had a great opportunity to start decluttering. And it was probably in that time period that I realized that all of these changes I was making to de-stress were in the form of simplicity. That was kind of the common thread with each change. And it continues to be that. Mm, so a real stripping back. Definitely. And that's what really led me to do this work that I do now. It started out with a blog, kind of documenting my journey. You know, I hadn't figured it all out when I started the blog. I still haven't figured it all out, thank goodness. Uh, but when I started, I was still very much in debt, still getting rid of clutter. I was working uh, my job that I didn't really enjoy. And so I got to talk about the process while I was in it, which was really great for me because I had some accountability for the changes I was making. But I think it was really impactful for the people reading or connecting with me online because they were saying things like, if she can do it, I can do it. And that's what was so powerful for me after my MS diagnosis was reading stories about real people figuring it out and saying, if they can do it, I can do it. Yeah. And ultimately what you've done is you've taken people on the journey whilst you've been on the journey yourself, you know, which makes you and your work that much more relatable and human and it's not about perfection. You've just taken people on that journey, which is really powerful. I've personally appreciated that a lot in your work, not only in your books, but also on your blog and in your email newsletters. There's always this element of an internal excavation. There's this direct relationship with what's around us. It's our outer world, our belongings, our life, as a reflection of that inner dialogue and conditioning. And on the note of minimalism, declutter or however you wish to look at this for the listener specifically in a nutshell why do you feel that this work is so relevant and important right now it's not going away anytime soon that's for sure could you speak to the key value in doing this work and facing our stuff I think it's 
less about the action of decluttering, for instance, and instead what the result is, what we're left with, which is space to then ask questions about how we are living our lives and how we want to live. And it, it may start with, you know, walking in after work and seeing a clean countertop and having that be, you know, very calming and peaceful. And perhaps you're nicer to your family members because you're not stressed out about all the stuff that you have to take care of, you know, at the end of the day. And so those clean countertops can really be this place that we start. It's something that's pretty easy to do in terms of just clearing an area to see, but then it goes so much further than that. And I think that's why this isn't a fad or it's not something that's going away because people are really making big changes in their life that started with decluttering a drawer or decluttering a countertop. Uh, because when they see they can create space there, they start wondering where else might I create space and have more peace in my life. So I think that's what makes it so powerful is that it's really limitless in terms of the changes you can make. Uh, I mean, I didn't think that now, 10 years later, since I started the blog, that I would still be making really big changes in my life in terms of simplifying. I mean, I, for a while thought maybe I had done it all. Like I decluttered, I downsized into a place half the size that I used to live in. Um, I quit my job. I, I started my own thing and still things come up. I mean, almost two years ago, I stopped drinking alcohol, which was another way, really powerful way to simplify my life. But prior to that happening, even though it had crossed my mind that I could benefit from that, I wasn't, I just wasn't ready. I wasn't there yet. But because I kept making space, I made room for that to happen. Mm. And with your work in, do, do you say Project 333? How do you say Project 333? I, I say 333. Project 333, but <laughs> you can say whatever you'd like. Yeah, I think okay. about it as three months and 33 items. So 333. Okay, yes. 333. Of course. Yes, yes. This is such a good thing. So obviously it's, um, it existed, it was an exploration, something that you did yourself. And now it's turned into a book. Why do you think there is a particular value in addressing our wardrobe? And that's a biggie for both men and women. It's a fantastic process. In your book, you offer so many great questions and prompts to help us really, you know, purge and get to the bottom of the stuff that we have. I'm curious, why for you, the wardrobe? How did that come about? Well, a few reasons. One is I think it's the place that we can accumulate the, the most in terms of stuff because we need to wear clothes every day. So we always have this excuse to buy something new. Like we have to wear clothes and there's events that come up. Uh, there's new trends and new styles and new seasons and it, always a reason to buy something. And it's usually super cheap in many cases. So it's super easy to accumulate in the closet. And I know when I started simplifying my life, I didn't want to go there because I really thought shopping was a stress reliever for me. Uh, and so I kind of backburnered that whole area to begin with. And the simpler everything got around my closet, the more obnoxious my closet appeared. And I realized that I just held on to stuff 
year after year after year, but I didn't slow down on adding. So I would just box things up and put them aside or move things into a different closet or just constantly be shuffling things around. And I was still always wearing the same handful of clothes all the time. But I didn't realize I was sorting through all the other stuff every single day to get to the favorites. And that was stressful. And so for me, that turned into a wardrobe or closet experiment because I knew that the slow and steady approach that I normally took to change was not going to work in that department. So I thought if I could just try a challenge or an experiment just for a few months, I might be able to figure out what's going on here. Mm. And now for the listener, would you mind giving us a simple clarification as to what a capsule wardrobe actually is? Because that's obviously an element of this process we can all be looking into. Yeah. So the way I think about a capsule wardrobe is just having a handful of your favorite items that can take you through both work and social and life in general. Uh, and things that for me at least, and I mean, people define this in a different way, but I want most of the things in that wardrobe to go together so that I don't have to think much about what goes with what. And and usually capping it off with some kind of number, not that the number is super important, but for the purposes, especially of project 333, to have a number is really helpful because you can choose those items. And then there's a hard stop at 33 or 35 or 40 or 10, whatever your number is. And then everything else just goes out of the closet and you don't have to get rid of it but at least for a few months, get it out of sight. So you can see what that feels like to open your closet and only have your favorite things there. Uh, and I include clothes, accessories, jewelry, shoes, all of it, because I know if I only included clothes, for instance, I would buy tons of shoes. Uh, I would find a loophole. Mm. It's human nature, isn't it? <laughs> we really need boundaries. It's that discipline we desperately need. That's why 33 items, someone else has set the limit, set the bar, and it helps that very human programming. It gives us that little bit of discipline, you know. I love something which you reference in Project 333, and this is related to one of my own personal struggles, and no doubt many people listening will feel the same way. Because I really care about the environment and this whole minimalist approach has been really um, in the forefront of my life the past few years and, of course, something I'm working on all the time. And the thing is, when I'm decluttering and clearing out, I feel the weight and the stress of adding to landfill. And I'm wanting to be absolutely as mindful as I can be in terms of how I dispose of things, not just clothing, but everything. And it was a real reality check in Project 333. You say, someone once asked me how to let go and live a life of less stuff. And you go on to say that this person said, I don't want to contribute to putting more stuff in landfill. And then you said in response, you made that contribution from the moment you purchased that item. 
And I was like, whoa, yes, that is so powerful, so powerful. And it even ties in with one of your more recent social media posts. I don't want my legacy to be containers full of stuff. And as a mother, I'm thinking about what am I leaving for my kid when I'm gone? I don't want to leave him with stuff to have to go through. So that really got to my heart. These questions you prompt in the book, they are so potent. Another one, don't save it just because you think your kids will want it or will need it. That's outrageous. So I don't know if you have anything you want to elaborate on in regards to that in terms of how we can work with these internal struggles or maybe what's come up for you personally, perhaps. There was a time where I think I held on to stuff a little bit too long to make sure it would go to the perfect place because I wanted to be mindful as well. And I realized that as long as I was breaking the cycle and not going to be in that cycle of donate, rebuy, donate, buy, and filling up the spaces, that I could have much more of an impact by letting go now than holding on for years, trying to figure out the perfect thing to do with this stuff. And yeah, until we figure out better ways to recycle and repurpose, it's all going to the landfill. And really it's all going to the landfill anyway, at some point, most likely. So I think if, as long as you're willing to stop that cycle, then give it to the best possible place, but steer clear of the perfect place because I, I haven't found it. It's almost as though we're reinforcing that internal struggle and finding the excuses to not let go of things. You know, if we hold on for that little bit too long and we're willing to let it sit there in a box or packed away. And as someone who feels that I, I'm quite mindful in terms of what I bring in and, and clearing things out, I've still found myself holding on to stuff and it just sits there in the corner. And then I realize what's the difference between it sitting here in my house or in landfill. It's still sitting on the planet, not being used. Of course, we can donate and recycle a ton, but not with everything. I was just going to say, I like that it's a process and that it's hard and that we really have to think about it because going through that process, that's going to come up the next time we're getting ready to make a decision on buying something new. We will remember that, what that felt like if we are thoughtful about it. Absolutely. Now, I guess because this is a very popular message and path that a lot of people are taking right now in the world with respect to decluttering, minimizing, and simplifying their lives. Has there been a book, whether directly or indirectly related, on your path that has really helped you clarify or simply inspired you with respect to all your work you were doing? There was a book I read long before I decided to simplify my life that I was reminded of as I was simplifying. And then I went back and have read it a couple of times since, and it's called your money or your life. Very powerful in terms of deciding what's important to you and how you spend your time. And just made me really think, especially about the the shopping stuff It got me on this path of thinking about not, the, not what it costs dollar wise, but it, what it costs time wise for me to buy something. And and that was very powerful to think, how many hours am I at work to buy this thing? It made it much more, much less appealing. Yeah. So it's almost like 
if we're consuming less, we actually don't need to work so much. We don't need to be grinding through working hours to pay for stuff that we don't need. Yeah, that's a powerful reality check. And are you reading anything right now that's supporting you along this journey? Well, I just finished a book called Big Friendship that, while not directly tied to simplicity, it is tied to one of the benefits of simplicity, which is better relationships and deeper love for for the people you care about. And it's a fantastic book. Um, It just made me think a lot about my close friendships and what we've done to to nurture those relationships and how I want to be even more mindful of that moving forward. Yeah, beautiful. And over the years, what have been the biggest misconceptions you've found come up often within the community? I guess probably the first one is that it's all or nothing. And so that simplicity or minimalism means that you have nothing at all or next to nothing or that there's some kind of contest to have the least amount of stuff when in reality, I mean, every person and family is different and they have different needs, different interests. So there's not really a number that you can say, you know, even though I I created a fashion challenge with a number on it, (laughs) that's only a challenge. It's not life. So some people may need three pair of boots. I only need one pair. Um, Some people may need lots of different things for their kids and where my daughter's grown, I don't need anything for kids. And so it's really up to each person to decide what's important to them and what really adds value versus is distracting them from what they care about. I want to remove those distractions, but there's no number or picture of what that is that works perfectly for everyone. And I suppose that creates for some people maybe more stress, you know, as you were speaking, I was thinking, oh, yeah, imagine searching minimalism on Pinterest. Oh, my gosh. And the types of images you would see and what kind of pressure that would put on people, you know, which is pretty wild. Yeah. So for over the years in the past or even now in the present, has it been a really great teacher for you? a mentor, whether you've had a personal relationship with them or not, is there someone that's really inspired you to be putting this work out into the world? I mean, there are a lot of authors and bloggers and people that I've connected with over the years who have done a lot for my journey, both in my personal life and in my work life. But in terms of always inspiring me to create a life of what matters most to me, I have to say that my daughter is my biggest inspiration and my daily inspiration and someone who is always challenging me and making me ask questions about not only the things I own, but how I spend my time and how I interact with other people. And she's really probably the, the biggest source of inspiration in my life always. Have you found she has been inspired and quite on board with the work that you do? I know you guys have a podcast together. Is that correct? We do. We have a podcast called Soul and Wit. And I would say that she definitely has been influenced, but she's not, we're not on the same page in in a lot of respects, which makes the podcast really interesting. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, But in terms of being intentional, she's fully on board. Yeah. Wow. That's very cool. So in light of your work and your health struggles and so forth that you've experienced, 
On a very personal level, what does living in alignment look and feel like for you in your life today? Yeah. So one thing I've noticed over the years is how my body knows, my heart knows before I know sometimes if something is right for me or not, if my answer is going to be yes or no. And so in terms of being in alignment, I really pay attention to my body's response to the choices that I'm making. And that might be getting an invitation and hearing it or reading it and noticing that I'm clenching my fists or my jaw or that my heart's beating faster and not in a good way. Uh, I really pay attention to that and trust that my body knows. So that's really important to me is just paying attention to that. And sometimes just taking the time and asking the question, does my heart say yes? Or does my heart say no? Like, yes, I could do this. Yes. I might be good at this, but is it something that is going to support my values and support the way that I want to live and support the time that I want to spend in that moment? And then in light of that, again, personally in day-to-day life, what does self-care and ritual look like for you? Again, it doesn't have to be that Pinterest perfect or Instagram perfect self-care stuff, but what is it that you know is very nurturing and imperative for you in daily life? Yeah, I have to say, I mean, for for people who are listening, when I say what I'm going to say about how I take care of myself, it's going to sound, it could sound excessive, um, but I have the time for it now. And I didn't always have the time And certainly when my daughter was younger or when I was working um, full time in the publishing industry or or anything else, I I didn't have the time to do it. So I I did less, uh, but I still made it important. You know, I started my morning routine, which is probably the the bedrock of my self-care in, gosh, I want to say it was pretty shortly after my MS diagnosis, where I decided to start putting myself first in the morning. And in the beginning, it was only five minutes long. And then it was 10 minutes, and then it was 30 minutes. And now it can last hours. So it's really important for me in the morning to meditate, to to read, to write, to move my body in some way. And it changes with the seasons what that looks like but those things happen every single day um, in one form or another. And I really make it a point to not jam my calendar full of appointments and opportunities, even when they're good opportunities, because I want the time to be able to do my morning routine. I want to be able to meditate again in the afternoon. I want to you know, move through my day without feeling pressured and, and, and exhausted. I don't want to be run down. Uh, and that requires limiting how I spend my energy and also increasing how I take care of myself. Uh, and I also, you know, I, I gave that disclaimer and people have their thoughts. I'm sure people have thoughts in listening to this podcast and your other podcasts and things I do. And I just, my only hope is that the things that I say resonate with some people and I understand that it doesn't work for everyone, but neither of those things are really on me. Like how 
what I say is received has nothing to do with me. And coming to that realization is a really big form of self-care for me. So not putting pressure on myself for how people might receive what I'm talking about and sharing. There's a real grace in that disclaimer, particularly as a mother myself to a little one. There are some days where you think, am I ever going to have that space? And it just goes to show that your daughter is older now and you have that space. And obviously in reality, for many people, it takes that shake up in terms of health to make you wake up and value yourself, which is a tricky thing to do as a mother, 100%. And with so many people around the world right now working from home, so many more people in this day and age working for themselves, we actually do have the capacity to carve out the space. But then it comes back to, do we have the discipline to really own our schedule and respect our time rather than falling into that trap of doing more and being more, which can happen so so easily when you're working for yourself or, you know, if you're working from home. For sure. I mean, yeah, it takes practice too. And this constant, you know, deciding every single day, what's important to you and asking that question, what's important to me. And some days it's kind of a disaster and you see that you didn't spend any time on what's important to you because you were doing things that were not important to you. But because you notice that, the next day you do a little bit better. And it really is a lot of saying, this doesn't matter to me. This is not important. I don't need to respond to this uh, over and over again so that you carve out the time and space for what does. Mm. And I recall growing up in my childhood, there was no answering machines, no voicemail, no cell phones. And it was just like, you you could not be contacted 24 seven. And we're in a culture right now where everyone expects a really quick response, which is pretty, you know, fascinating to just at least witness and reflect on and see how we can create those boundaries and really change that paradigm around how we use technology. And I think this work is a really potent foundation for that, even in terms of uh, speaking of what you touch on in your Project 333 book about having a uniform as a part of your capsule wardrobe if you're working from home, which may be so much easier in the morning rather than having decision fatigue, you know, just to have that go-to same thing. How can we use our clothing of all things to work more effectively and streamline our mental focus every single day? You know, if you want to work at home in your PJs, that's fine. It's simply recognizing that these subtle changes can be greatly impactful. But from here, um, I'd love to dig a little more into some personal questions for you. Just some fun questions we always close out with. So firstly, I would love to know, what is your favorite sound? The ocean. Yes. Has to be my favorite sound. I have a, a sound app that I listen to when I sleep and it is either ocean or rain. (laughs) And what is your favorite place? It could be geographical, but it doesn't have to be. Oh, that's tough for me. I, especially right now where I'm really missing travel, it makes me think of a lot of my favorite places like New York City and Amsterdam and uh, San Diego. But I think that probably my favorite place is with my people, with my husband and my daughter. Uh, Those moments that we have together, they become my favorite place. 
And what would you say is your daily one non-negotiable? It's probably meditating. I mean, I've been, so I started practicing in, let me think here, March of 2019, uh, Transcendental Meditation, and meditate twice a day for 20 minutes. And I meditated prior to that, but it was more sporadic and it was much shorter and it was only once a day and it wasn't consistent, but I haven't missed a day since I started that practice. Even if I was traveling or my schedule was upside down or something was happening, I've, I've managed to keep those uh, meditation sessions really sacred and, and there it is. It's a non-negotiable decluttering the mind. Yeah. You have to, you have to clear it out all the time, several times a day. And what would be your most favorite go-to meal or food, either or? That's tough. I love sushi and I also really enjoy great Mexican food. Um, It's probably not my go-to, like I don't eat it the most frequently, but I really enjoy both of those things. Uh, And then I, I love a daily smoothie. Like it's the way that I get most of my greens in. So. Mm. And what are you curious about in life right now? It's, it's an interesting time in the U S yeah, and it doesn't I'm need to very... be political. <laughs> no, <laughs> <Good>. <laughs> I'm exhausted from political conversations to be honest. Uh, but I am fascinated right now with community and community building I started a membership program in August called the Simplicity Space. And I've always had great luck in attracting the best people to the, with the work that I do. I mean, just these people that I connect with, I always, I just know that they're my people. And I feel really lucky that that's happened. And I've kind of always relied on that organic community formation around the work that I do. But now with this program, it's a little different in that I want to know more about the psychology behind community and understand how I can bring people even closer together and make them feel even more supported and loved. And I need to know things to do that. I can't just always rely on that natural happening of community. So I'm really digging into learning more about that. That's interesting. That's really interesting. And it seems like something valuable for everyone to dig a little deeper into. I mean, especially right now and to, to see what the, the virtual communities look like and how that differs from in person and how, again, you can really rise up and support people in that way. Mm. Very cool. Very cool. Uh, So you've already mentioned a couple of things, but for the listener, what have you got coming up uh, in the pipeline? So, or what are the courses that we can plug them into? How can they, yeah, dive deeper into this work with you? Well, I have a lot of things that I've built over the years. So different courses and books and this new community uh, and then the podcast with Bailey, my daughter, but the thing that we have going right now and through the end of the year is something that we've been doing every year for the last, I think it's eight years called 31 days of gifts you so deserve. And it's one of my favorite things every year because it's not simplicity lessons. It is, it's like a daily advent calendar 
in your inbox. And so every day throughout the month of December, you get something that invites you to slow down and enjoy the magic of the holiday season. And it could be anything from a playlist to a recipe to a, a thought or idea, a craft, um, just something that you get to say every day, I'm going to take 10 minutes and open this email and, and do something that plants me right in the heart of the holidays instead of thinking about what happened yesterday or what's going to happen tomorrow, just here today. And it's only $3.10. So it's something that's super affordable and that people end up gifting to like their book clubs or their churches or their uh, colleagues so that they can do it together. And it's something that really lights me up and I'm looking forward to getting started. Oh, that sounds so delightful. So is this all up on uh, your website at the moment? It is. Yes. Okay. And it's bemorewithless.com? Correct. Fabulous. And so everyone can find all the details they need for everything on that particular website, correct? They can. Great. And I highly recommend to anyone listening to jump onto your email newsletters. There's a lot of relevance there, but they are simple and not overwhelming and provide some really nice reflection, right? Keep it keeps they keep bringing me back to this work just in a really gentle way as a part of daily life so i do really appreciate that because definitely in a world where our inboxes are saturated and i'm pretty discerning it's good to be discerning it's nice to have that richness and quality coming through with the emails thank you mm, thank you and i know we have touched on your website but are there any other places that we can plug people into how they can find you some social media yeah, I would say the website's the best, bemorewithless.com. And then I am on all social all social media platforms, but the one I'm the most present and available on is probably Instagram. So at bemorewithless on Instagram. Wonderful. And sorry, what was the name of the podcast with your daughter? Soul and Wit. Soul and Wit. Great. And you guys have an Instagram account for the podcast as well? We do. So the... The Instagram for Soul and Wit is Soul and Wit Podcast. And, and we're also on iTunes and Spotify. You've got so much goodness going on and you've, you've created the space for it, you know, in your life. Yeah, it's grown slowly over time and I keep making space for the things that I'm excited about. Uh, so, yeah, thank you. It's beautiful. So admirable. I love it. Thank you so much for your time today, Courtney. As I said at the beginning, I am deeply appreciative for your time and therefore your generosity. I'm really grateful you were happy to join us here on the podcast and for all of your wisdom. Well, thanks. It's my pleasure. If this episode was of value to you and your life, please subscribe. And if you can think of someone who would benefit from this dialogue, please do them a favor and send it their way. If you feel called, hop on over to iTunes and leave a five-star review. This is the best way to get these conversations into the ears and hearts of our wider community, to those who need it most. You can find me at amyelandry.com or over on Instagram at amyelandry. May we all move a little closer to a life living in alignment.